Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, Dana here, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. So today, I'm super pumped to welcome Chrissy King, the author of the new book, The Body Liberation Project, How Understanding Racism and Diet Culture Helps Cultivate Joy and Build Collective Freedom. And I just want to start out by saying that everybody and their mom and their grandma, everybody needs to read this book. And I'm not just saying that because I have Chrissy on the show today. The whole reason I wanted to invite her on the show today was about a month and a half ago, I received a review copy of the book from NatGalley, which is kind of this like online reviewer thing where you can apply to get review copies of books. And so I read this entire book in one sitting on my plane ride from DC to Utah last month. And as I was reading this book and basically highlighting every single, every other sentence, something on every single page in my Kindle, I was just like, oh my gosh, I have to have this author on the podcast because everybody needs to hear this message. Everybody needs to read this book. And I had been following Chrissy for a while. I knew she was a wonderful person, but I was like, damn, we really have to promote this book. So I just, I can't recommend the book enough. If I could give it a hundred stars, I would. And one thing to know is that, and we talk about this in the episode, buckle up friends, because it's about to get uncomfortable, but in the best possible way. So this is a book that is accessible, empowering, and full of very hard, but essential truths for anyone at any any stage in their body liberation journey. And Chrissy in this book and also in this interview will help guide you and all people towards body neutrality, which we frequently talk about, but then even further towards body liberation by helping you become more aware and teaching you how to do your part in not only the individual piece of body liberation, but then even moving forward toward dismantling the systems of oppression for all bodies that make you feel, no matter where you are, like you could never be good enough even if you tried. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode with Chrissy. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, so let me jump in. So Chrissy, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm going to just start plugging your book for you at all different points of the episode, (laughs) but your new book, The Body Liberation Project, I cannot wait to get this into the hands, the ears, like of everybody, because one of the things that you said in the book, which I mentioned before we started recording is like, if we are, as I am, right, part of like the dominant group white people out there, right? Buckle up, bitch. It's time to get uncomfortable, but like in the best possible way. And I'm just so (laughs) excited to talk about all these things. And I also just wanted to say, I love how you incorporated like your signature, like humor here and there in the book, because this is a heavy topic, right? But it's like, yeah, like all this stuff is really tough. And also like, remember, (laughs) you got to have some lightness in there, which allows you to keep going. So thank you for coming on. 
Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you about all of this. And also I so appreciate you saying that you appreciated the, the humor I inserted. Um, you know, I've like been writing for a long time, but this is my first time like writing my own book, right? So I felt like I had for the first time the freedom to just like kind of showcase my own personality in a way that I can't do when I'm writing for other platforms. So uh, it was different, but I'm like, this is who I am. And I really wanted to share that. So I'm glad you appreciated it. <laughs> Listen, I'm a big fan. So I wanted to go in, first of all, I was listening to your recent podcast episode with Sharin where you were talking about, and she were like, damn, these questions you're asking are so good. And she asked about, you know, the origin story of the book. So I don't want to steal her thunder. But so where I want to start today is, so you talk about in the beginning of the book, how shrinking your body never healed your relationship with your body at all. And it only made you more dissatisfied than where your body was before. Can you start there? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I will never stop talking about this. Um, I, I feel like I've been, or I had been yo-yo dieting since the time I was like 16 or 17. And I talk about like what spurred that in the book, you know, someone at school making a comment about my body. And that's what kind of like set me on that path of, oh, there's something wrong with the way I look. I need to fix this. Although, you know, I definitely had earlier issues with like body dysmorphia before that, but like my 16 to 17 was the first time I remember like consciously going on like a hardcore diet. Um, and, and then I was just like always yo-yo dieting, right? And what happened with that diet, especially at that formative age of being in high school and losing a lot of weight. And then people are like, oh my gosh, you look so great. And like, how did you do it? I want to lose weight too. And at that age, I was like, oh, this is like, people are going to like me better when I'm in a smaller body. And so that really set me on this path of like yo-yo dieting for quite some time. Um, and when I got to be an adult, I think I got tired of like doing these unsustainable yo-yo diets because I would do these things that were like extreme and then I'd always gain the weight back. And so then when I got to like my twenties, I was like, okay, I'm going to join a gym. I'm going to, I'm going to fix my body once and for all. This is going to be the time I get the diet right. I get the nutrition right. I'm doing all parts and it's going to like, my body's never going to change again now. Um, and I did have what people call that quote unquote transformation. However, I was like the thinnest I'd ever been. I was the strongest I'd ever been. I was competing in powerlifting competitively. I could deadlift 400 pounds, like something I never thought I could do. Like all of these amazing, incredible feats my body were accomplishing. And also I was smaller and people like literally always, like people, strangers would comment on my body, right? So you would think I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy now. And actually I was so miserable. I had a, a horrible relationship with eating. I had a horrible relationship with body image, with exercise. And I remember this picture and I actually just looked for these pictures um, over the weekend because there's like a segment some show was doing and they asked for like pictures of me during that time period. And there's this picture that I have. And I look back at this picture now and I almost feel like I don't recognize myself because it was such a different version of myself than now. I was so thin, like just looked so different, but why that picture like sticks with me is because I remember that that when I took that picture so vividly because I remember being so uncomfortable in my body in that picture I remember looking in the mirror and being trying to like suck my stomach in and like trying to like make myself look even smaller and still being like oh my gosh when am I ever going to achieve the body that I want and I look back at the picture now and I was so thin and but I like didn't feel that way at the time I was still so dissatisfied um and so it was like that was also towards the point where I started to realize that like, oh, I need to like fix something other than like my body is not the thing that's going to bring me this worthiness or make me feel better. 
because I am so miserable. And so I think that's like, those are a lot of the things that led me towards this journey of healing my own relationship with body image. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love also, I mean, entwined and like woven in, in so many different uh, parts of the book, you're talking about your story and how that made you realize so many of these different things in terms of, okay, well, fixing our bodies is not going to be the solution because our bodies were never the problem in the first place, even though the systems of oppression that are in place make us feel like that is the issue. And it makes it feel like it's an individual problem rather than a massive systemic problem, which is then kind of trickling down to the individual. So can we go into liberation a little bit more and talk about why for you, liberate body liberation is the ultimate goal and because it's a more evolved and inclusive goal than like body positivity Mm -hmm. which we've talked about so much on this podcast has so many issues um or even body neutrality how body liberation is a more evolved and inclusive form of body neutrality as well absolutely so i mean i go through this in the book as well like body positivity and so and and some of the issues i have with it and even but but one thing i will say there's there's lots of issues there right but one thing i will say is that i do think it's still like a good place for us to start thinking about our bodies differently right but the conversation in my opinion needs to evolve farther than just like self-love and yes i love my body and all of these things and so when we're talking about body liberation for me i i think when i'm the reason i use the term liberation is because liberation means freedom right and that's what we really want we want complete freedom to be able to exist in our bodies um, and have peace in our bodies and also be able to exist in our bodies free of systemic harm right and so you know the body positivity movement was founded by fat black and brown women and there was like an element of social justice in there and i think that's what a lot of the mainstream body positivity is missing now right And so when we're thinking about body liberation, we're talking about number one, it it goes beyond just like, oh, I love my body. And I talk in detail about how I want us to like fall in love with ourselves, not just our body for what it looks like, but just who we are. So I want us to all love ourselves deeply and unapologetically, but I also want us to understand that like at our essence and our core, this body literally is just the shell, the vessel that is allowing us to have this human experience. It's not who we are, right? And, and moreover, it's not about like, oh, you one day you're going to be able to look in the mirror and love everything you see. Because like, no, that's also just like unrealistic, right? It's about understanding that no matter what I'm feeling on any given day, I know that I'm inherently worthy because I, I exist. And it's always coming back to that. This is just the shell. It's just the thing that's letting me have this human experience. And liberation is also about understanding, like we've already spoke to a little bit, understanding the systems that would have us at war with ourselves, right? And so how are we working to dismantle those systems? And at the same time, how are we learning to um, have joy and embrace the bodies that we reside in and all the different iterations of our bodies? Because we're going to have so many different iterations of this of this vessel from the time we're born to the time that we leave this physical plane. And so liberation is like, how am I truly experiencing freedom in this vessel that I have been gifted and that I have to live with until I leave this physical plane? And how can I show that this vessel uh, love and how can I embrace it? And how can I really be in true relationship with it? Because it is a gift that I've been given. And how can I, how can I understand that? Yeah. And I think on the one hand, that feels like such a hug and like a permission slip of like, None of this is your fault. And even if you've been trying to change your body for your whole life, it's still not your fault why you feel like your body is the problem because there's so many different systems at work that are continuing to make you feel like, yeah, you are the problem, even though it's them that's the problem. Yes. <laughs> that's their whole 
thing is like they want to make you feel that, oh, you you do have a way that you could find a way out of your situation when really they're like, haha, look at us, you know, like rolling in our money and white supremacy and everything like that. That's keeping the same people at the top. And like you were saying, you know, the, the body positivity movement was created by and for fat black women as a way to make themselves feel more represented and seen and loved because there was no space for that back then. And now it centers mostly white women, which is like a big part of the problem. But I also really, really appreciate that you talk about how body positivity in itself, one of the major issues with it is that it focuses on self-love without acknowledging that it's so self-love itself is so much easier for some people to even think about attaining and achieving than other people because it disregards the intersection of race, gender, body politics, sexual orientation, ability, status, and everything like that. So can you go into that a little bit more? Oh my gosh, yes, of course. I mean, yeah, like this hyper-focus of the body positivity movement on self-love, right? That like, just love yourself. While again, very important, there's like a few issues with that. Number one, you know, when we live in a society where Eurocentric standards of beauty are what is seen as, as beautiful, if you're farther away from those standards, it's, e- it's, it's much harder to be like, oh, I'm just going to love and embrace this body and my looks and all of that when all the messages you're getting is that you don't, you, you, the way you look is not the standard of beautiful. So that in itself is inherently more difficult for some of us than others. And then moving even beyond that, it's like all the self-love in the world, right? Like, let's just say you have come to this place where you completely love everything about yourself. You are just fully embracing who you are. That doesn't negate the fact that we still live in a society where there are actual like systemic harm based on how you look in a body, right? So there is thin privilege is a real thing in the world, right? There are actual benefits of living in a thin body. And so loving yourself doesn't fix the problem, right? And so that's why we're always talking about the problem is not individual, right? Because self-love also makes it sound like if you just love yourself enough, then you won't feel this way in the world. And it's like, no, 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 no. I can love myself and still feel this way in the world because it's not an individual problem. It's a systemic problem. And, and that's the problem with white supremacy, right? Because it's always pointing like this individual, like the onus is on you to fix the problem. And it's like, no, the, the problem is the system. And once the system is dismantled, then we all are able to exist easier and freer and free of harm. And so when we only talk about self-love in that way without acknowledging that one is very difficult for some people to do it. And then that two self-love is not going to be the thing that solves all of our problems. It's very short-sighted. Right. And, and again, it makes it easier for uh, it, it makes it easier to be like, okay, everybody just love yourself. Now the world is fixed. And instead of saying like, no, 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 we have a lot of work that needs to be done. And then all of us will be able to love ourselves a lot easier without putting ourselves through all of these rigmarole to get to that place of self-love, right? And it's it's really interesting because when you say, when you describe that scenario of like, oh, well, you know, if everybody just loved themselves, like everything would be great. You know, on the one hand, that can feel kind of uh, defeatist, I'm sure, to people because it's like, oh, even if I love myself, it's not going to be fixed. But at the same time, it's also kind of a permission slip of like, even if everyone loved themselves, which is feels like such a completely unattainable goal for so many reasons for most people, I would say, even if we all got to that spot, all of the other things wouldn't be fixed, which can also feel like kind of a permission slip of like, oh, okay, thank God. Like I don't, I, this self-love thing feels so unattainable for me. And as you mentioned, like 
the more intersecting marginalized identities that you have, the harder it feels to even think about not even attaining that, but like moving the needle. So I'm sure that feels like a nice hug to a lot of people as well. Um, But I want to talk about something that you mentioned in your most recent podcast episode, speaking of these different kind of not only intersecting identities, but also this kind of like, yes, and so many different things can be true at the same time. So you talk about how diet culture is super entwined with white supremacy, and we don't want to be a part of that, right? And at the same time, you could recognize, and no matter the body that anybody exists in, this can be true. It's like, so diet culture is intersected with white supremacy. We don't want to be a part of that shit, right? And you can also recognize that our lives would be easier because it's easier to move through the world if you're in a smaller body, right? And when you're further, when you're in, when you live in a body with intersecting identities, so if you're black, if you're a person of color, if you're trans, if you're queer, if you're disabled, any of these other things, thinness feels like it's one privilege that is a little bit more attainable and within your reach that can make you feel that living in your marginalized body could be a little bit easier. So can you talk about that a little bit more? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I think, you know, it's like another thing is like when we're having this conversation about self-love and body positivity and all of these things, like we can't ignore the realities of diet culture is toxic, right? Like it's harmful to all of us. It's absolutely intertwined with white supremacy and anti-Blackness. All of those things are true. And also, when you live in a world in which thinness is seen as the ideal, even if you can recognize that these things are harmful, it still sometimes feels like, yes, but my life would feel easier if I was in a thinner body or if I tried to reach these standards of beauty, which is why I always say that no matter where you are in your liberation journey, like it's so important to hold ourselves with compassion and kindness and grace because all of this is really, really hard. And the last thing we need is to beat ourselves up because we're feeling like maybe feeling called to weight loss or feeling called to changing your body, right? Like compassion is always the answer for all of those, the anecdote to all of that because it's all really challenging. And again, when you live in a body, that is more marginalized you have multiple 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 intersecting identities thinness can feel like your one access to privilege right like I can't be all of these other things and I'm already oppressed in all of these other ways at least maybe if I was thin I wouldn't have to deal with as much or that's my that's my access to that's my proximity to privilege that's my proximity to whiteness right that's my proximity to feeling beautiful And so, and also it's not even just about, yes, it's your proximity to those things, but it's also about the real realities of like, oh, if I lived in a smaller body, maybe it wouldn't feel easier for me to navigate the world, right? Maybe because I could walk into the clothing stores and there would be clothes that would fit me in my size in the store because I could walk into an airplane and I would be able to fit comfortably in the seat and I wouldn't have to ask for a seatbelt extender. I, I wouldn't have to deal with all these stigmas and microaggressions happening. Um, so all of those things can be true and you can also at the same time recognize that it's really harmful. Diet culture is really harmful. I could recognize for myself, like I look back at pictures of myself when I was in a thinner body and we all have those moments, right? Where you look at yourself and you like are mourning the, and I talk about that in the book, mourning previous versions of yourself. And also I can recognize, but remember how miserable you were or remember like the trauma you had to put your body through to stay that size right and so it's always it's always a but and and so it's it's super nuanced and i think that we have to realistically talk about 
why it's it's hard and difficult sometimes to break up with diet culture and to like, you know, to really say, I don't want that in my life anymore because we're also constantly inundated with messages that tell us that we should be engaging. And, and I think even now more than ever, right? We, the rise of the, I want to call it the Ozempic epidemic, right? Where people are intentionally, and it's like very intentional, right? They're like hitting paid advertised dollars, advertising dollars behind uh, Ozempic, like it is very intentional to remind you that being in a smaller body is better. And also now there's a magic pill that is going to help you be in a smaller body. It's so interesting that you mentioned Ozempic because Christina and I just recorded an episode about that on Friday. Oh, I can't wait so to hear that. <laughs> perfect timing. I mean, so many issues with that, yeah. right? And just, oh, oh my God. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit more about you're talking a lot about grief, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And about mourning previous versions of yourself and how, um, you know, even just how our phones are like, oh, like here are your memories from five, 10 years ago and whatever. And on the one hand, you're like, oh my God, when I traveled to this place, it was amazing. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> I thought I was good today. And now uh, I feel a little bit destabilized, right? But so can you talk a little bit more about why, you feel like it's really necessary in order to move through these stages of body neutrality, body acceptance, body respect, all the way to body liberation. You have to talk about or help allow yourself to move through that body grief and also mourning previous versions of yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I in the book, when I talk about breaking up with diet culture, I liken it to breaking up with a toxic partner or like being in a toxic relationship, right? Because I think a lot of us can relate to that, myself included. You can be in a relationship with a person and know that it's not helpful for you, that it's actually harmful for your mental health, harmful for your emotional health. And then you say, so you like finally, like, okay, I'm done with this, I'm breaking up with this person. And then you can still miss them. You can still grieve the relationship. You can still grieve the good times, right? And, and so the same is true with breaking up with diet culture and even like grieving previous versions of your body because you can also, like for myself, right? Like I say, those times of those pictures pop up and I'm like, oh, wow, I looked so different, right? Not even I look better because I think I'm past the stage where I'm like, I looked better, but I like I look different. And and also I can be like, remember that it, no matter though I look different, I still was in a really bad place at that time in my life, right? My mental health was really bad. My emotional health was bad. All of these things were really hard. But anytime you're losing something in your life, whether it was a toxic relationship or not, we still have to honor that we're losing something, right? We're losing different versions of how we look. We're, we're losing control perhaps, because when I was really in the throes of diet culture, it also felt like a sense of control, right? Like that I was in control of what my body looked like. I was in control of my health. I was, and all those things were illusions, but I felt like I had that sense of control. And so it's like, we have to allow ourselves the space to grieve all of these things and to feel all the feels and to, I also recognize that at times, like we might have a, a quote unquote relapse, right? We might be like, you know what? I just do want to go on a diet again because that's going to make me feel better. All of those things are normal and we have to like be open to those feelings and give ourselves really the space to sit with all of those things. Because um, for a lot of us, myself included, diet culture was a part of my life for a really long time, toxic or not. It was my best friend for a really long time. We were, we were walking hand in hand and now I've let that part of myself go. I have to grieve that. Um, and so that's just like, these things are really challenging and they're very nuanced and we just have to understand it's not, 
it's not as simple, right, as body positivity would have it seem sometimes, right? Like one day you just look in the mirror and everything's great now and you feel better. Like, no, it doesn't really work like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, plus also, you know, when we look at engaging in weight control behaviors and dieting and for some people extreme exercise and, you know, all these different things that we do in an attempt to manipulate our bodies, for most people – what that really is, is just, or, you know, quote, just a coping tool or a coping skill or mechanism that we're trying to use in order to bring some aspect of control into our lives. And I think everybody can relate to that. But like we've mentioned multiple times, when you have these multiple intersecting identities and you have the intergenerational trauma of racism and white supremacy and everything like that. So I'm sure people are like, so so now you're telling me that you're taking away my only tool to get access to a incredibly small amount of what seems like privilege, even if you're not actually going to get that when you get there, you know, when you get there, if you ever get there, right? Because we could have a whole conversation about like the whole getting there thing. But I'm sure that can feel like a little bit of a betrayal or like, well, like what the hell am I supposed to do now? You know, like you're taking away my only tool to deal with all of, you know, my family's trauma that has been passed down to me and the experience of living in the world with a marginalized identity. And you're now you're taking away what feels like my only aspect of control in order to do that. Like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Oh my gosh, 100%. And I always say that like, dieting is the low hanging fruit in the sense that it is easier, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, when things feel out of control, I'm like, oh, I can go on a diet. I can control my body. That's the thing I can do, right? Because maybe the other things feel too hard to address. Like maybe I really am not in a place to feel, to like deal with the thing that's probably really, you know, the source of my trauma or the source of my pain. I'm going to go to dieting. And, you know, I don't really go into this a ton in the book. I Hopefully I write another book and I want to talk more about this. But when I broke up with diet culture and I stopped dieting and I found liberation in my body, let me tell you that I had to deal with all these other things in other areas of my life. And my life drastically changed after that, which I, I mean, I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so happy with where I am, but it was really not the body that was the thing, right? It was like, that was, like you said, that was the way I could be like, oh, I'm going to focus on this instead of dealing with all these other things. And I think that's true for a lot of us, right? I'm like, oh, I'm, I feel out of control in my life. I'm going to change my body. That will make me feel in control. And, you know, it's, I also want to validate that basically from the time we are born, especially people, like, especially with people who identify as women or born as women or, you know, anything like that, that's basically the message that we are sold from the time that we are straight out the womb, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, you have to, you know, control your body and you have to look a certain way and you have to perform a certain way and you have to be a certain way. And, you know, especially with the, uh, stereotype of like the angry black woman it can also feel like oh well you know I can't take up that much space because I don't want to fit into that stereotype and I recognize that's super ironic as of me saying as a white woman in this world right? but so <laughs> you know what's really interesting and you talk about this in the book and on your podcast as well is like a side effect of or a very <laughs> What people love in the white supremacy world is that one of the side effects of dieting and trying to shrink yourself is that you have no energy left to create or do what you want to do in the world. And dieting keeps us small and it prevents us from having the energy, like the literal nutrients in our body to fuel ourselves, to dismantle the systems of oppression that are designed to keep us in that place, which is just so incredibly fucked up. And like every time I think about it, it makes me so angry. I remember, I very vividly remember the first time that I realized that and I was like, 
holy shit. Like my whole life needs to change after this moment. <laughs> I mean, it's so true. And I think that like when you're in it, at least when I was in it, I really didn't even, I couldn't comprehend that all of my energy was going towards this. All of my energy was going towards how does my body look? When am I going to exercise? What am I eating today? And I talk about in the book, like there were times in my life, like I would not, my whole life revolves around my workout schedule. Like I would not go do things with people if I meant I was going to miss my workout. I would schedule doctor's appointments at work, but really I was going to the gym because I couldn't go later. Like my whole life revolved around keeping my body a certain way. And I don't think I realized when I was in that moment that, that I had no energy left over for anything. There was nothing creative happening because I couldn't. But again, what you were just saying is so true because like that is, that is like the, that is the purpose, one of the purposes of all of this, right? Of white supremacy of the patriarch is to keep us so consumed with our bodies that we have no, we have no energy to worry about dismantling those systems. And like, how fucked up is that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Well, so speaking of systems that are in place and things that need to change, um, this is, <laughs> if you haven't been uncomfortable yet, buckle in, <laughs> right? <laughs> Prepare to get uncomfortable because I want to talk about performative allyship. So you talk about in the book how performative allyship is harmful to body liberation and collective liberation because it doesn't actually do any work of dismantling those systems of oppression. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I have so much I can say on this topic, but uh, <laughs> like I have a grad school yeah. course coming very uh, soon. Say. Okay. So, you know, I've been talking about not even just in relation to bodies, but just like going back, like talking about like why we need to be talking about anti-racism and diversity and inclusion and wellness, you know, back to like 2016, 2017 is when I first started writing about these things and just thinking, talking about the intersections. Right. And you know, people weren't really like that interested in hearing it back then. They were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like this has nothing to do with fitness and wellness. And I'm like, no, but it does. It really does. And then 2020 happened, right? And George Floyd was murdered. And all the white people were like, oh my God. Racism is real. I'm like, yeah, I've been trying to say this for so long. Like I really, and like, and specifically in the wellness, I mean, in all the industries, but like wellness, because that's where my frame of reference is. All of a sudden people were like, oh my God, racism, Chrissy, we need you to talk about this. And I'm like, y'all, I have been saying this for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things that was like, great about that, not great, but one of the things that was encouraging about that time period is that people started having these conversations that we weren't having before. One of the things that was not so great about that time period is that a lot of it did feel very performative. And, and it was just almost like it was performative and also was like, it became white people's emergency, their crisis, right? They're like, oh my gosh, we have to be anti-racist right now. What do we need to do? <laughs> it's like, well, all right, let's simmer down and like, let's really talk about what anti-racism <laughs> means, right? Because it's not these like quick check the box type situations. And so I think what happened is we had like this, you know, my friend Monique Melton um, has a, I talk about in the book, she talks about like the pseudo white awakening, right? And people were like, white people in particular were like, oh my God, yes, we need to fix this right now. What do I need to do? Tell me how to be anti-racist, right? Without understanding that the journey of anti-racism and, and dismantling white supremacy is uh, not something we can check off. And it takes a lot of intentional work and it's actually really, really uncomfortable and requires massive change in our lives and massive sacrifice. And, uh, you know, what will feel like a loss of privilege, which is, it's actually not, but things that will feel like you're losing something because equity feels like a loss sometimes if you're used to being in a position of privilege. And so 
I think people were really excited about it. And then the excitement wore off. And then they were like, oh, there's actual things I have to do to achieve this. And so someone can't just read a book I can't and be just, done. No, it wasn't. It was more than just reading a book. I thought I signed up for the course. Can't I can't just take book. Chrissy's course. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I did the work. What do you mean there's more to be done? And so I think, unfortunately, what happened is, and I, I, I knew that at the time, but I was still, you know, you try to be hopeful. You try to be hopeful, but I did know at the time that a lot of it was just very performative and, you know, a lot of people just wanting to make sure they looked like they were on the right side of things um, without being really fully committed to doing the work. And so, uh, yeah, there was, but it's so harmful because again, it's like when you're performative in your allyship, it allow, again, this is like another tool of white supremacy though, because it allows you to like get the accolades and to say the right things and to people to appear like you're doing the work, but when all the chips fall and everything is done, the same people that are still harmed are, you know, black and brown folks and BIPOC folks and people with multiple intersecting identities where we're like, oh, you showed up to do all these things, but like nothing's actually changed. And we are still in very much the same place we were before. Um, And it feels, I think for a lot of people, it feels even more harmful because it felt like for a moment in time, there was going to be a change. And then actuality, it was like, not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like there was, or almost, it, it was very much like there was not only the major trauma of having to live through all of the events that live or that kind of led up to that moment of white people being like, Oh my God, racism is real. We all have to post a black square on yeah. our Instagram because otherwise <laughs> no one will, th- no everyone one will, will think we're racist. <laughs> yeah. Right. No one will know. And then like, Oh my God, if I don't post a black square, like everyone will call me racist, which is like the worst thing you could be called as a white person, because God forbid I'd be called a racist, but then not do anything to actually become anti-racist. Right. Oh my gosh. But so it was like all of the trauma of that and then the massive disappointment afterwards of like, oh, look at all these. I'm sure you had all of the brands and all of the people being like, oh, well, you come talk to us and we, you know, we'll pay you for this. We'll compensate you for your work and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, where did all the hype go? Like, were you, were you actually? It's now. Right. It's crickets yeah. now. It's like, oh, so you, yeah. so you didn't actually meant what you, you were just trying to look good for other people right and really it was like trying to show I think I think a lot of it was like you know you you saw a lot of brands that like didn't make statements or you know would say real stupid shit online and then all the white people were like we're not supporting this brand anymore because blah 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 and it's like and then because our culture has such a short-term memory so many people have forgotten about it by this point. They're like, oh, what was that? Like, didn't they do something one time? You yes. Know? I mean, that's exactly right. it. And, um, and then all the, so it's, it's, it's both, right? Brands like not making comments and then people have quickly forgotten about it. And it's, it's also brands like making a quote unquote stance, but really have done nothing to stand behind what they were saying they were going to do. And I talk about in the book about like pay equity is such a big part of, any of these conversations right and so i look at myself two years later and like and some other black creators i know pay equity is still just as much a problem as it was prior to 2020 when everybody made all of these commitments and um yeah like it's just it's very it's harmful and one of the things i talk about in, in a little bit more detail in the book is also is like, like a person who was doing education work during that time it was also like I'm experiencing like this collective trauma, right? And then also I'm having like all of these people making so many demands and requests of me. And it's this weird situation because like at one point, of course, I could say no to any of the opportunities. I didn't have to do them, but it's also this knowing that 
these opportunities may not be here forever because people are going to forget this moment. They are going to stop investing in all of these things. And so Mm -hmm. it was a weird time. It was a weird time. Yeah. It's like a feast or famine mindset. You're like, I want to take advantage of this. Like I deserve to be paid for my work. Like I want to be paid for all my work. And you know that, you know, at some point there's not going to, hopefully there's not going to be this crazy kind of trauma that happens again, that causes another, you know, major influx of all of this stuff. But at the same time, it's like, why did it take you all so long to wake up? And like, because, oh my God, it's just so many, so many layers of issues. But I want to talk about another layer of issue is it's not just performative allyship that's harmful to body liberation, as you talk about in great detail in the book, but it's also white feminism. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, we were talking a little bit about body positivity and like oh, some of the issues with mainstream body positivity. One of those, for me, one of the issues with mainstream body positivity is that it's really been, it has now really, it's really like the face of body positivity now is really thinner body white women, right? Um, and a lot of pictures that you see on Instagram, like under the hashtag body positivity, are people like in their swimsuits talking about embracing their cellulite, right? Or that- like, Look at this hunched, one tiny role I hunched, have. Yes. They also are hunched over to accentuate the role, right? And it's like, I still love myself. And I'm like, okay, it must be hard. And I'm not like making light. I want to be really clear that I am not making light of people having issues with their stretch marks or their cellulite or their belly rolls. Like all those things are really real for those people. I'm not, and I'm not in any way saying that people don't struggle with that Mm -hmm. because they absolutely do. But we have to be really clear that there is a difference between having a personal body image issue, right? Like, I don't like the stretch marks. I don't like the jiggle on my thighs. I don't like the belly fat. Like those are personal body image issues, which we all struggle with. That is very different than living in a body that experiences systemic harm because of the way it looks. And I think that is what we, that's what gets lost in the messaging, right? Whenever I start talking about these types of issues within the body positivity space, and I talk about like white feminism, like the, the, the feedback or not even feedback, like the immediate response from people, but I don't like my body and you're trying to make this about race. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not even about race. It's not about that. It's about understanding there's a real difference between body image issues personally and living in a body that's systemically harmed. And we have to understand those differences when we're having these conversations, right? Because if not, right, the conversation becomes this issue of like, oh, but all women or all whoever, mm-hmm. all whatever. And it's like, yes, 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 yes. And again, the point of any social justice, whether we're talking about body positivity, body liberation, anything, is how are we how are we considering and elevating the voices of those and the issues of those that are most marginalized among us? That has to be the point of any social justice type work that we're doing. Because again, when the most marginalized among us have freedom, then that means we all have freedom. And that has to be the focus of the work. Mm-hmm. And I, you say that so many different ways, so beautifully, like kind of woven throughout the book of like, none of us are free unless all of us are free, right? And you have kind of different quotes from different, you know, authors and everything that also are saying the same thing. And I love how you did that because, you know, sometimes when you're trying to teach someone something, just saying it one way or one time or 27 times throughout a book is not enough, right? So there's different ways of teaching. There's showing, there's, you know, visuals, there's all these different things. And I I know that with the multiple times that you've woven this throughout the book and the different ways that you've tried to teach it, at least one, probably a hundred of these ways will really resonate with people and make them understand in a way that really resonates with them. Um, And it's just like, 
man, I feel like I could talk about this with you forever, which obviously we could be because there's so many (laughs) things that we could talk about in the book. But so I do want to talk about as well is how, and we've, we've kind of been talking around this, um, but I think just to say it more uh, concretely is like you were talking about with, you know, white feminism and all these people. And it's really what they're saying is like, but what about me? Like, but I do have body image issues and you're never saying, no, you don't. Or like, no, you can't because you don't also have this. It's like, yes, we all have body image issues and all of those are valid because of the patriarchy and the health equals weight issues in the medical system and all of this other stuff. And at the same time, what if you added all of these other things? Like just imagine what that would be like too, right? And part of the big reason for that is one thing you talk about in the book is our bodies are political statements, right? And depending on which body you're in and which marginalized identities that you fall into, it definitely dictates how society treats you, no matter what your size is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, bodies are political. And I remember... um... I got into a little tiff one time with someone on the internet um, and it was actually post George Floyd, the person that actually taken my course and like very much one of the people posting the black square and like I'm in solidarity, right? Uh, what was it like amplifying black voices, like all on board. And then a few months later, it was like election season, right? And election season in this country, you know, you know how that gets, right? Real dicey, real dicey. And this person posted this uh, thing about, why they don't talk about politics and it was like such a starch different stark like different from like a few months earlier when they were like yes george floyd inclusion all of us anti-racism and one of the things that they said in there like like fitness isn't i don't remember what they said but they're like i'm a fitness coach and i don't talk about politics because i don't need to talk about politics to be able to help you with your body and I actually didn't even see the post. I literally got pulled into the post because people started tagging me. And um, what is so interesting about that post for me is that like, that is such a short-sighted view because bodies are inherently political. Like if you live in a body, especially, you know, a black body, a brown body, a trans body, a disabled body, your body is inherently political just because you exist in it. And that people will treat you differently and you will have different experiences in the world simply because of that. It doesn't matter anything else. It doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter if you open your mouth to say anything to people. That is inherently political living in a body that is any of these other standards or any of these other identities. And so our bodies are political and uh, they 100% affect the experience that we have in the world. And I think that the more that we can all accept and acknowledge that, like, again, the easier it is for all of us to move towards liberation because, because we can recognize and understand that we are having a different experiences in the world because of the way we look and because of bodies that we have. And again, this is why when we talk about dismantling white supremacy and dismantling the patriarchy, it really is about allowing all of us access to true freedom to exist in the world and the bodies that we have, regardless of what size they are. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that that must have been extremely frustrating for you on multiple levels because you're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this is someone, oh, you'd post the black square, bought your course. Bought the course. Right. And yeah. you saw interacting in the course, because I remember you talk about this in the book. And then this just reminds me of something that you talk about in the book when you were like, sometimes I really can't stand social media because it becomes very apparent that people don't read. No. <laughs> I, was it's like, like- I was like, 
man, I relate to is this that, so hard. Isn't that so hard sometimes? <laughs> because you're like, if I, I don't, like, you just didn't read it. Like, you must have not read it, right? <sighs> because surely if you read what I said, then you couldn't be saying the thing you're saying now because you would have read what I said, right? Um, and yeah, it was infuriating because this is like someone who took my course, who was like sharing it all over with other people, like telling other people to take the course. And like, and that's why I talk about why performative allyship is harmful, right? Because it's like, it allows you to show up, look like you are one of the good white people. And that's, that's the mm-hmm. thing about anti-racism sometimes, anti-racism work is that for some white people, right? Like looking like you're not racist is more important than actually not being racist, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, if this person wanted to show up, look the part, do the thing. And then a few months later, I'd be like, oh, I don't talk about politics over here because that has nothing to do with my job. I'm like, no, it has everything to do with your job. It has everything to do with your job, especially. And then and in the post at the same time, not only saying it has nothing to do with my job, but also in the post, like highlighting the fact that they work with all people of different identities. And like, this does not affect their ability to do that. And I'm like, oh man, this is very disappointing. And I think that you are missing all of the points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's becoming very clear that you didn't actually read. <laughs> it's becoming clear that you didn't read. And I don't even know if you showed up for the, like maybe you just signed up. I don't know if you actually came to the course itself. But also like I talk about in the book is like, I actually was like, oh, I can have a conversation with this person. Like we can talk about this. Like I'm, I can help them because they were, they were just talking about anti-racism and they want to do the right thing. So I literally sent him a private DM. I didn't comment on the post. I didn't like do any of that. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to talk to this person in the DM. Not only did they not respond to my DM, they just blocked me. And I was like, wow, okay, I get it. I get it. They actually are interested at all, right? And so it's like, those are the times when I'm like, all right, I'm out here trying to do the Lord's work, but I don't even know. I don't even know if this is worth it sometimes. Um, And it is, it always is, but definitely infuriating at moments. Damn, didn't even leave you on Reddit. It was like, nope, I never want to talk to this person again. Black, you're gone. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. And so I want to thank you so, so much, not only for coming on the podcast today, but when all of you go out and buy and read this book, you will also see how much work went into it, not only because it's a labor of love, but also the resources section in the back and all of the references. And then one other thing that I just want to, watch me blow up your book right is like at the end of each chapter I love how you have a very practical reflection questions and tools section right so it's not and you know we talk about like you can't just read the book and then be like oh I'm good it's reading the book it's reflecting it's seeing how is this impacting your own life what are the different things that I can do and go out into the world because we talk about how body liberation is very you know kind of similar to anti-racist work is like it's not it's never over and done it's like you have to continue to unpack all of your different layers see how this has impacted you continue to do the work on yourself and then out in the world as well so I just wanted to thank you for putting so much work into this book and it is like so amazing and then of course thank you for coming on the podcast today so please plug all of the places that people can find you well, first of all, thank you for those kind words. I really, really appreciate that. And I'm so like, I'm just, I'm so excited for everyone to read the book. I really, really am. Um, but you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at I am Chrissy King. My website is chrissyking.com. The book is out for pre-order. Well, by the time you're listening to this, the book is already out in the world. So I definitely hope that you pick it up. And I really honestly believe that this book is literally for anybody living in a body. Like if you have a body, I think that you can benefit from reading this book. 
And um, it isn't a labor, it was a labor, labor of love, but I think what I'm most excited for is I really want people to work towards liberation after reading this book. And I hope that it really helps people on that journey towards liberation. Um, and if it helps one person, I feel like I've done my work. So, yeah. Well, it already did. So you can check that box. <laughs> check that out. <laughs> In the best kind of way. <laughs> yeah, these are the good checks, right? These are the good checks. Um, these are the good checks. But also thank you for having such thoughtful questions. It was like such a joy and an honor to speak with you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for coming on. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at wholeheartedeatingpod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.